0: All right, we had our Air Force go. It's time to dumb it back down a little bit. Justin, you want to step up, represent the Army? Justin, you are uh, Army Reserves, right? When did you join? Why did you join?
1: When I joined in 1999, nothing was really going on in the world. It was pretty calm and peaceful. The Reserves was a great place to get uh, veterans points on a civil service exam and money for college. So I went to the police academy. The time I got done with that, 9-11, it happened. Like right before 9-11, we all joked around about the Reserves. Who would ever send us anywhere? So you deployed in 03, right? May of 2003, I landed the same day George Bush said, mission accomplished.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of Longest War. This week, we have former Army MP Justin Thomas. Justin, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Nick. You're a cool guy, despite the fact you were an MP. It will surprise a lot of people.
1: Yeah, yeah. I understand why people hate MPs. Why did you want to be an MP? In high school, I was probably the last guy you think would want to become a cop. I was kind of a deviant little kid. Nothing too crazy bad, but just juvenile, stupid stuff. Sure. And I started going to community college. I actually tried to join the military, and my parents flipped out. So my dad said, to calm your mom down, go to community college, figure your shit out, and... uh I started taking classes and I realized that, like, you know, this cop stuff could be kind of fun. So as I graduated community college, I, you know, I told my dad, I said, fulfill the obligation. I'm going to go join the Army Reserves. I'm going to be an MP because uh, that way I get more law enforcement experience to go on with my criminal justice credits I got from community college. You know, it's just reserves and you get points when you take a civil service test. That was, I mean, that was a big push for the MP MOS And just being in the military saying like, okay, it's a good career move if you want to get into law enforcement. Yeah, I mean, this is 1999. So you're not worried about anything because the reserves is kind of like, yeah, you just go one week a month, two weeks a year. And what what big deal is that?
0: When could we ever possibly go to war again, right? What what could ever happen? Uh, So you were in two years before September 11th happened. All right, so explain to me how does the service change at that point?
1: It got real. Like when we joked around and we would do field exercises, like a lot of time the reserve time was spent doing a lot of paperwork and the bureaucratic stuff in the military. And you're like, "We do. we only have two days a month to train. Like, why are we doing NCOERs and stuff like that? You know, we like right. haven't done anything to do an NCOR on. But our, our drop was pretty quick. It got real, like, on 9-11, a handful of us, whoever could show up, was told to go to our reserve unit in Wheeling, West Virginia at that time. And we got to, you know, guard our building because we don't know what's going on. And that was literally hours after 9-11 happened. So, you know, you go barreling in. 100 miles an hour down the highway get the reserve unit they're like here here's your weapon here's here's your ammo post up outside and uh just hang out and we'll tell you what to do from there so lock and load on us soil right there 9 11 that day so so we we're there for about three days just you know 12 on 12 off rotating guys in and out maybe a six on six off something like that you know the were you married at the time I was not married i was dating a girl that was it's nothing serious at that time you ended up being off for like three days or whatever but you had no idea
0: could be a day, could be six months. You're yeah. just like, come come down here.
1: Yeah. So and, and basically, you know, we get a little bit of, you know, downtime and you turn the radio on and try to figure out what's going on with the world. Because sure. I mean, you're just sitting out in a there's no the cell phones were like a luxury even if you had a flip phone. Like you <laughs> had one guy had a cell phone and you could go, Hey, come borrow your phone to call mom, you know, let her know everything's okay. And so you can't you're not you're not you don't know what's going on. You when you get done with your, you know, shift outside, you go turn on radio, like what what's happening? What are we doing? What's going on? They figure out who did this. Right. You deployed shortly after, right? Yeah. So from that three days, we did like, we spent a couple of weeks up in Toby Hanna Army Depot. There was a group of us who were like, just, you know, send us anywhere. It was that, that 9-11, like, yeah, I'll, I'll do whatever you ask asking me to do. Right. And uh, so we did a short stand up at Toby Hanna Army Depot, uh, which is about an hour outside New York City in the Poconos, hour and a half. There they told us that like, okay, you're, we're sending you back to your unit. You got your affairs in order you're gonna go to Fort Gordon, Georgia for a Homeland Security Detail. Went back home, straightened things out with the employer. At that time, I just worked like an airport warehouse job. It wasn't like a big deal. I I could've walked away from that any day. Hey, this is what's happening to me. This is what I gotta go. Had orders for two years, and that was just the way they were written because they didn't know either. You realize that no one knew what was happening. Sure. So yeah, uh, yeah, we convoyed in POVs down to uh, Fort Gordon, Georgia. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you know, we we just all drove down to uh, did a small MP detachment there, and we just helped them. They were running gate guards; they're doing twelve on twelve off, working gates. Gordon's like near Savannah, right? Augusta, Augusta, right by the Masters, and that's the only thing that happens in Augusta.
0: Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> so you were just doing like gate guard duty for a year?
1: Yeah, pretty much. It was actually a a good experience because that was like at the time I had not been a civilian police officer yet, so. Our unit was really tasked as a reserve MP unit. Garrison work really wasn't in anything we trained for. We were aware of what you had to do. So we did mostly gate work, you know, just backing up traffic for 20 miles while we checked everyone's ID and searched their cars and getting yelled out for backed up traffic to making it go a little smoother because you could pretty much say everybody's first name as they, you know, two months into it, you knew who was coming to the gate at what time. And, you know, they were cool. You're like, and then he said, no, 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 you're going too fast here. I kind of, well, what happened to Vance to be recognized? You know, it's like. Right. At this point, we're getting that good. And uh, so then we got through some law enforcement, law and order operations. They pulled us off the gate, integrated us into the active duty guys, like doing patrol work, a little more police work, stuff like that. And it was cool. I got to do uh, SRT training, SWAT. Got to do some high speed shit there. So it was cool. I went to school, Fort Leonardwood for that, learned room entry and stuff like that, working teams and doing. It's like clearing with like an M4 and stuff. Yeah. So that was the biggest benefit from it. I, I jumped into some of the stuff that you were never going to get exposed to in reserve unit.
0: Did you either take leave at all during that year or was it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. There was, yeah, there was, um, yeah, a couple of leaves and we did like, because MPs don't get Christmas access or anything like that. So we swap out, like I gave Christmas to the family guys and I took New Year's or whatever. And, you know, so that was a little bit of three days here and there on the weekends and stuff like that. Did you have normal days off though? Like yeah, we'd have normal days off. We'd work like long stretches, like everything, twelves. I think that's just yeah. the, the normal MP shift is a twelve-hour shift. And so yeah, and then you could go. And the girl I had been dating during 9-11 at the time moved to Atlanta. Our sister lived there, so Atlanta was a two-hour drive. So I'd routinely drive over to Atlanta well, and I had bad. time off. So
0: so you do that for a year. You came back. What? When is this? This
1: is like two thousand two. Yeah. So that was like October to september of 2002 towards the end of september came back and when we moved back they they said, basically said don't get comfortable you know something's about to happen and you started paying attention to the news and stuff like that and you see iraq's you know this is the next thing coming and i think it was right around december i went from the unit in wheeling as 305th mp company got a letter in the mail that says you've now been transitioned to the 307th mp company so you call all your buddies up and you're like hey did you get this letter? Yeah, I got... Yep, yep, yep. everyone's like, all right. And it was funny we all had the same sponsor. Okay, poor guy. <laughs> it's like, it's funny you get a sponsor to integrate you. So went to a new unit in New Kensington, PA, which I was direct center. It was the same drive either way, 45-minute drive from where I was at the time. So I didn't really have a longer commute to uh, drill weekends. So did a couple drill weekends with those guys. And basically, you're like, don't be too far away from a phone. Answer it every, every time the phone rings. That's when you had a landline. So... Basically, every time a phone rang, you were wondering if that was going to be the call. And then one day, the phone rang in February. And I said, yeah, you got to report. You have 72 hours of report. You're going to be deployed. And so from there, basically pack up all our gear, get everything ready. You know, spent two or three days loading up all Humvees and all our our crap. And uh, convoyed to Fort Dix, New Jersey in the middle of winter. Basically went through battery training, going to wet range, weapons qualifications, stuff like that. Did you know you're going to Iraq already? I think at that point, yes. We knew that that was pretty imminent and at that point we were slated to go into Iraq through Turkey. So they gave us a lot of cold weather gear and in Fort Dix in February is a cold place. Sure. Yeah, nice cold weather gear for Fort Dix, but we were doing a lot of like Cold War era preparations, like mine sweeping. Yeah, you know, like which would have applied well to some of the, you know, like driving a route and an IED, kind of some of the tactics. But we were in the woods most of the time, like in all of our training. And then one, we had this giant field exercise where we had to dig foxholes, sit in there for – do that for three days and get gassed every morning at 6 a.m. Right. to the point where – Preparing like, to fight Ivan. Yes, yeah. Like, Yeah, so – and, you know, you're just like, this doesn't seem like we're well prepared. This doesn't seem like what, what, what's about to happen, and you're kind of watching – what's going on on the news and then so towards i guess the end of april may beginning of may we uh finally like we knew we were going to go to iraq we knew a date was coming and we landed in may of 2003 the day george bush said mission accomplished so we were like sweet won't be long boys (laughs) (laughs) turn around get right back on that plane we're out of here you know, so. Funny thing happened. Yeah. 14 years later. <laughs> yeah. We're still here. Mission
0: was not complete. Yes. So... I get what he was saying, though, right? Like, yeah. All right. The hard part's over.
1: Yeah, the hard <laughs> part. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, you're yeah. like, all
0: right, mission over. Shit, why are we wasting our time here? Yeah, what are we
1: doing here? And and they're like, oh, no. You know, we still have stuff to do. So, we were probably... Had, had they found Saddam yet at that point? No. Which, that kind of bookends our last day in Iraq. Oh, perfect. Let's talk about that. So we were flying back and the day we were flying back was the day Saddam got caught. We landed when George Bush said mission accomplished and we're flying back the day Saddam got caught.
0: So as you're leaving, you're like, all right, for real, guys. Yeah. Mission accomplished. Like we're really done now. (laughs) There's no way in 11 years we'll still be
1: here. Yeah. I was there when uh, his sons got killed, captured. We were in country then.
0: Was that a big deal? Like were folks,
1: how they feel about that? You Know the the excitement level of firing an AK 47 in the air, yeah, like the whole city, and then you realize that like they could pretty much take us out anytime they wanted. They're well armed and equipped, you know, like they the whole everything erupted with gunfire, yeah, and we just took cover. I mean, it was, yeah, just try to hunker down and yeah, don't go out on patrol today, or ride it out, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't go out there today. So. Were they like where was were you there when they were like pulling all the statues and shit down? We were right after that, so we were in that phase of. The chaos with all the looting and and stuff like that and trying to lock that down and get all those places controlled and you guys were also lucky enough to be there like when the first IEDs started going off yeah which is fun yeah and that was like the whole thing of like what is that that was it a mine or like no it was not a mine it's a road and <laughs> trash blew up and you know fortunately the first guys that went through it were like it was just crazy you know that no injuries or anything like that it was just about i just couldn't believe what happened and there's nothing you can do about it. There's no, like, I think I've heard guys say, it's like, you're impotent. You're just like, yeah. you're just driving down the road hoping. And you don't have armor at this point. No, we had plastic Humvees. Yeah.
0: So the- there were like those nylon doors
1: that zip up and down. <laughs> we actually had hard doors, but they were hard plastic. Mm. And, uh, the unit prior to my arrival, had a, a little, uh, incident with a soldier who went a little crazy for dicks and started shooting people up. Oh, Jesus. And, uh, he shot one of the Humvees and a nine millimeter went through and through. <laughs> Our own M9 round went right through the Humvee. When pistol rounds are going through, like yeah. you don't want to fuck with the rifle rounds. Man. Yeah. So like we said, we want the doors off. It's a fire trap. Yeah. They're like, no, you got to keep the doors on. We're like, for what? It's hundred. It ain't stopping <laughs> the bullets. Yeah, it's 120. i more breeze, the better. If I have to unass this thing, I'm going to, one less thing I got to do to get out. And it's not like those doors work, Right. Right right <laughs> yeah.
0: they always jam anyway yeah you usually a re- weird rubber latch on there
1: yeah, you gotta reach outside yeah. it's an outside latch
0: so the benefit is like you don't have armor but you're like how do we okay we just drive balls to the wall fast everywhere that was hopefully it. they can't time it right to hit us
1: yeah yeah i mean that was it we drove like idiots the complete opposite of what we learned from clearing mines on a road right
0: but when the doors are off that's a nice breeze so yeah it's a nice breeze it's worth it.
1: yeah i was i was an e5 gunner was sergeant gunner i was yeah. it yeah a weird I had a weird truck. It was it was top heavy. Two E5s and an E6 in one truck. Didn't you have like your navigator guy in there? That was the was that your driver? No, E6 was the the navigator slash he was a team, he was a squad leader. We had a squad Didn't leader.
0: Didn't you have team. some guy? I don't
1: know. I think oh uh, maybe Luke was
0: telling me he was like some dude. It was just like some country boy, and he could just like take you off route.
1: <laughs> oh, that was Yeah, he was the driver. Yeah. Yeah. He he had the best natural mapping system of anybody. He he'd be off route. And like I was the only one that probably in the truck off knew that we were off route because I was like so used to looking at everything. Yeah. The landmarks and what's here, what's there. I remember one time like looking down and seeing like platoon sergeant and the squad leader like looking at a map and like looking around. And I and I tap Harvey with my foot and you know give him the signal to like, hey, what are those what's going on? And he would just put his thumb up and be like, Everything's good, man. Everything's good. It's I like, got it. We're and good,
0: boss. I know where we are.
1: <laughs> yeah, and he'd get you right to where you need to be. We're trying to find these police stations and that we were we were setting up which eventually became our main mission was uh we did a couple different things we we did uh bank payouts like the the pension payouts was our first like this is okay this is what we're going to have you guys do which was interesting it was in the middle of the city central baghdad every day a couple thousand people would show up to get their pension and we were sitting on millions and millions of dollars of cash and basically just handing out whatever we felt was Something agreed with the Iraqi government that we thought this would help boost the economy, keep people calm, win the hearts and minds, I guess, was kind of the attitude of it. But we really didn't understand the whole concept. We were just there to make sure the greatest bank robbery never occurred. Right. But, yeah, that was that was actually the first time I got shot at was, was there. And we were in a building. I was changing my pants. And we had to drive by. It was like. You know, '90s LA drive-by. Dude just went rolling by, and, and then just- you change
0: your pants again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I remember we're running around this building because, like, we you know we had guys on the roof. We had security. We were just swapping out, and you know we're running the building and like running around like crazy. Like it was like probably like ten rounds. So not only you get shot at, there's I the. Literally the road,
0: like the pavement, <laughs> yeah. shit's blowing up under the asphalt. Yeah. Which is like, how the fuck did that get there? Yeah. But also, the neat trick, you were a gunner, is they had like those, that thin ass fucking razor wire yeah. that would string across to decapitate the the gunners. So you, they started putting up that big metal
1: rod on the front of the trucks. Yeah. So that was, yeah, it was a thing. Like, you know, you'd see a guy with that, it's like an old signpost, stop signpost. Yeah. You're like, what's that for? And they're like, you know, they're dropping razor wire down to try to decapitate the gunners. Did you ever hit one of those things? Like, did you hear it like, Pop when you? No, the the closest I got to a wire, and it wasn't an intentional. It was just low wires of, uh, like you know, they had everywhere in the alleyway. Of a (laughs) shithole. The shithole, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) um We're driving through an alley, tight alleyway. I pulled the gun out of the the mount because every rooftop was higher than the elevation you could get on the on the saw at that time with it mounted. So I was holding it up and I was like, you know, looking up, watching the rooftops. And Harvey was the driver. He slammed on the brakes. And it hurts like hell.
0: Oh yeah, as a gunner, like
1: your gut gets hit on the turret, and your knees slam into the singars. Yeah. And you're like, I was like, what the fuck? You know? Like, look in front of you, and there was a wire sitting, like right there, like an electrical wire, like inches from my neck. I was like, you're the man. Yeah, like, solid, sorry, dude. Sorry, Appreciate sorry, it. sorry about that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get in in the turret. Now. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna get inside the Humvee for a minute.
0: <laughs> so that's always fun. Yeah. You guys, you guys lost a couple dudes
1: on that tour, right? Yeah. Yeah. What happened with them? So our cook was killed, Sergeant Eric Hall, on uh, August 18, 2003, he was running. So those guys had to go to Bayou, Baghdad airport every few days to get food and just get our you know food supply. And they would run the route at the same time every third day or whatever it was. So they were pretty routine about what they were doing. And uh, Not a
0: great idea. You
1: no, know, Iraq has major highways, a little different than Afghanistan from what I understand. And they came down the off-ramp, which is choke point, narrow point, and they were in a deuce and a half. And, it, you know, two uh, MPS courts and an ID went off and, and uh, ended up killing Eric Hall. And Downey was the other guy, the other cook in the vehicle, and he suffered some injuries. But he made it. He made it. Did, was he bad enough to – did they medevac him out? No, he came back. He, was, he I don't think he ever went to Germany. I don't think he went over. But, he, yeah, eventually he did end up leaving –
0: what was he like after? Like, because I mean, he's in the truck. He uh, makes it out. The other guy doesn't.
1: He was he was solid about it. Yeah, I would give him. I mean, I couldn't. I, I've never been in that situation. I couldn't. I don't know how I could react. You know. But from my sure. my impression is like he handled it very well. Like I, I mean, it was, it was not. I mean, I remember sitting. We were in our police station, man and that, and hearing that whole go down on the radio. You're just like, and, and in our head, the military hides what really happens until they collect everybody and tell you. And right. In your head, you're like, "Oh, I got Medevac, man. He's gonna be all right. He got Medevac." And you know, by at the end of the day, you know, a couple of guys are looking at you going, no. Nah, and you're just still in denial. Sure. You know, you're at that, and then they tell you. So.
0: Because you always want to think like maybe they made a mistake. Yeah. But like the fact that they never make a mistake, right? Like yeah. they don't make a mistake with that. They know for sure. Yeah. So that was August. So that you'd been there like four months.
1: Yeah. So and we had a lot of guys get hit with IEDs, you know, but most of it was eardrum damage like shrapnel wounds that yeah, were light. A lot of
0: purple hearts but
1: yeah a lot of purple hearts and there's the one guy called it. he goes i got a pink one because it was just a graze yeah it's <laughs> like i'll take it you know he, he didn't even want it but the first sergeant's like take it promotion points yeah so. yeah it's pretty much what it was It's like you aren't because you, you went through a blast man it's like fair man, enough fair enough yeah so what about the second guy how long that was in november so we, there was rumors that we were they're gonna send us back that's always the scariest moment that's when i think i, I got more scared Knowing that the end was near, you get short timers, and you're like, don't, can't, can't, can't get comfortable. That was November 9th, and um, yeah, he was down. They were they detached two platoons to go to Camp Dogwood, they were doing main supply route security from there to the airport, and it was a heavily IED route. and These guys were doing such a good job clearing the you know route clearance, which IED route clearance is like one of the dumbest things you ever do. You know, like you travel down the road and see if it blows up, right. Couple times they were bearing the ID so deep they were ineffective. Guys were getting hit, but it was just going straight up. So one night they're coming in off their, their route clearance and they got ambushed. He was in, an, actually, they gave him up armored for that mission. We swapped out, we took an active duty unit's up armored and uh, used that for that mission. And he was in the turret and uh, the bullet went in the only gap in his armor and he had the teacup. Yeah. And, and just the one hole you got laterally. Lucky shot. Yeah. Between the, you know, in the ribs and through yeah at that time we were camp mule skinner or yeah camp mule skinner which was in southeast baghdad so and they were on the other side and so we're pretty far away and i remember being in our haji internet chat room you know just you know the, the cafe <laughs> the cafe yeah and uh they're like they're like everybody get off the computer yeah because they're a to blackout yeah yeah and you're like what and and i had a guy who he was in the talk and he's like he leaned over, I remember what he said, and I was like, nah, 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 nah that didn't happen. He, they pull you all together and tell you what happened, so. And how much longer after that until you guys came home? I remember eating Thanksgiving in Kuwait. So it was a couple weeks. A couple weeks, yeah. It was that close. I mean, I was. That's
0: tough. It's tough, yeah. That's tough to deal with. Yeah. Because, like, it takes a while to process that, right?
1: Like, and then. Yeah. And. You're coming home and you still haven't really dealt with it yet. Yeah. Yeah. And Kuwait. We were there for a while, like three weeks doing all the, the customs bullshit and cleaning everything out and trying to figure out where we could hide, what we could try to take home, <laughs> you know, what, what creative methods of concealment we could come up with. But yeah, and that, I guess that was decompression, but it also started to compress you because you were just frustrated. You went from this hypervigilance to, I'm bored out of my mind. This is so yeah. dull. Like, I remember, like, and in, in there's, you can't have any alcohol, which is probably a really good idea, hindsight. Yeah, there's no alcohol. They had a duels. I tried to drink, see if I could get drunk off of duels. If I drank, because I hadn't drank in like months, so I was like, I wonder if I drink six of duels real fast if I can get drunk. I just got sick. Made sick as yeah, dog. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I, I, I mean, I was good decompression before coming back to the states, and you know, we're some of the first guys coming back from that. I guess you know, like I don't think they really had their shit together as far as how to decompress us, and then so a few weeks in Kuwait, getting everything cleaned up, and then we had our unit got split coming home. Because some of us had been deployed on that Homeland Security thing and the Army was limiting how many days we were deployed for whatever. There's some benefits thing, some bureaucracy that they had to have us out of there at a certain date because we would have gone over days and they would have to pay us some benefit or money or something like that or change our per diem or something I don't really understand. So they, they sent those of us who had already been on like a, a previous deployment got to go home first and they left guys back. That was weird. That was rough. Cause like you're like this is not right. We're all split up. How long was the the delay with those guys? We managed to get home like right before Christmas, and they got home after Christmas, I think. So it was kind of, and that was the other painful part. Yeah, you that know, sucks. You know, you know they're just sitting there, not doing anything. Like they're just just not a priority to get them home. Yeah, right? it's not a priority, and then they get, you know, they get stuck doing all the extra cleaning, and custom says no, you got to power wash on the again. So that one little insect doesn't show up here, but yeah.
0: So after that, like were you like ah, I don't want to
1: fuck with the reserves anymore? So that was end of 04, beginning of 4 so 5 years and that I technically had 1 year left of the 6 by 2 contract. So I kind of shut down. I was like a high speed kind of guy. Like I always wanted like I wanted to do SRT. I wanted, you know, I I got promoted to sergeant fast and then so I just kind of shut it down and I was done. I knew the military was over for me. I I had uh, stressed the women out in my life enough, that being my mom and the girl I was dating at the time. You know, like I I realized that that's that's a lot of pressure to put especially mom, you know, you look at the pressure you put on your family and the stress that they were under and she was not a fan of me to ever joining the military but was proud of it, you know. Yeah. And it's just Vietnam era growing up in that era and they, they told me all the friends they lost and stuff like that with it. Even though my my father wasn't in the military or neither was my mother's any he, her father was for a short time World War Two, but he had a medical condition, couldn't do anything. So
0: You wanna talk about um like some of the stuff you're up to now, like mission continues all that stuff?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, right. so what are you up to these days?
1: Um so right now I'm involved in the mission continues just just getting a ball rolling on that did my first project yesterday What are you gonna be doing with them? So i'm gonna be the third platoon leader taking care of the Immigrant and refugee population in the uh, pittsburgh area mostly in the south hills 51 corridor We still have to determine what their needs are and what what service we can provide them But um, when are you, when are you starting up like going hot with that? I go to training in july so after then, I think in the next couple of weeks here, Steph and I have got some meetings to go to and trying to get the ball rolling. So it's it's very ground level right now. That's exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Like this is uh, all the stuff like Veterans Breakfast Club and CLCV and Mission Continues. Is, I mean, like I wish that was there. I mean, it's been 14 years. Like it was a VFW in American Legion, right. which, you know, like. They're great for what they are. For what they are. But like, it's nice. To know, it's good to see everyone get back and get to reconnect with everyone. Even my wife said something about, like, she goes, you think about in your circle of friends, you're our friends together, I'm, the, like, the only vet. And she goes, it's probably nice for you to go, and, like, like yesterday, working on a house, and, you know, everybody's a vet, and pretty much everybody there, like 80%, 90%. So it was cool to be just 3 around, And you get to hear their stories, different walks, like Air Force accountant you never think about. Right. I guess you do need those, yeah. You yeah. sure do. Yeah. Gotta get paid, right? Gotta get paid, yeah. Should I talk more about CLCV? Yeah, talk about CLCV a little bit. Yeah, so the Community Leadership Course for Veterans. So basically, Leadership Pittsburgh has set up a separate program that's for veterans that we uh, go out in the community and use our veteran leadership skills to improve the community of Pittsburgh through different organizations such as Presley Ridge, Help Them Out. That's a school for troubled and autistic youth. And, you know, they work on their image and try to improve their image.
0: What organization did you get put with?
1: I got put with Pittsburgh Parks Conservancy, and probably fitting, I'm wearing a REI shirt too. It's kind of it fits in my wheelhouse. So basically, we're going to work with them to get more community members into the park that you wouldn't typically see. The, the diversity is not in the parks; it's relative to the communities that right. they're in. So to concrete, so we're going to try to go out in a community and say, you know, this is a free resource that costs nothing to go here. You have access to trails, pavilions, you know, fitness equipment. You can understand why the park exists, why this land's kept here to help with water purification and water runoff and stuff like that. So,
0: that's awesome. So, you're working with the Pittsburgh City Parks, and what was
1: the team name you guys picked? Team Ron Swanson. How awesome is that, I man? I love it. Yeah. Absolutely love it, dude. I actually have a Ron Swanson coffee mug. It's nice. Before all of this. Buddy. Are you going
0: to grow your mustache back? That Iraq caterpillar was pretty sick, dude. It was.
1: No. no <laughs> the wife will not approve.
0: Wife that. will not allow it. Wife she will, will not allow it. Past denied. Justin, you want to talk about your experience at the evening events? What it was like to stand up and talk in front of the crowd?
1: It was a good experience. I'm not, I'm not 100 comfortable with public speaking, so I actually kind of looked at it as like a, like you know, if I looked into Toastmasters or stuff like that. But it's like a veterans Toastmasters. You just got to get up there and tell your story, and it's great to listen to everyone's. It's humbling. You learn a lot. I never really understood. A lot about Afghanistan. I knew what was going on, but you hear what the guys talk. So, but the experience for me is great. It's get you get to relive the good parts. You get to laugh about stuff, and you know you share your story with other veterans. You hear stories from guys from World War II, which is super humbling as well, and Vietnam and Korea. You were one of your podcasts talking about how no one ever talks about Korea, right? And you think about it, and you're like, yeah, I've heard all these other stories. I want to hear more about Korea, and it's wild shit, man. Yeah, and it's that network, that community, that brotherhood and sisterhood we all have you know, just bonded through being in the military.
0: You brought your wife to one of the recent events. What what did she think about it? She liked it. Yeah?
1: She was not with me when I was in the military. So, you know, we weren't even dating or anything like that. So, you know, I think for her to try to understand some of the stuff that I refer to and just kind of our weird sense of humor and attitude towards things right. to be a little gruff, you know, and it's... So, yeah, she, she enjoyed it. She really liked hearing that stuff. And, I mean, her exposure to military things is none. She comes from a very... uh I'll say it, Namby-Pamby kind of sure. environment, so
0: it's- You think she's open to coming back to another one? Absolutely. Cool, glad to hear that. You guys coming to Oakmont on the 15th? Oh man, dude, I got like three of the most fucking hardcore Vietnam vets you've ever met, yeah. dude. Yeah, oh. like dudes that were in the shit. Yeah. So it's gonna be intense, man. People are gonna leave in tears, and that's what I like to see. Yeah. I like to see I- people emotionally devastated when they leave these events. Questioning <laughs> their love for country, all that <laughs> shit, dude. Oh
1: just all that stuff you hear man it's like that you wonder like survivor's Guild stuff like that like there was that one at uh seven oaks country one out in beaver that marine talked about that that he he was sick of being point man so he wanted to be rto (laughs) and how many bullet holes nearly got him and and he just walked away from like he's like holy shit yeah
0: and then he came back and he like he said his one wish was that someone would put him on like an island Filled with mines and just make him run through it, so like he could lose a limb too, because like everyone else did, and he made it out okay. Yeah, that's fucking crazy shit. Yeah, carry around with you for what? It's been forty nine years. Yeah, like that is insane, man. Yeah, so it's good for you guys to talk about it, get it off the chest. Like it's nice. Yeah, and it's good to hear that. All right, Justin, thanks so much for coming on today, man. Had a great time, and you're gonna stick around, and you're gonna be on another episode with us. We're gonna talk about. The the, the the triple X rated shit of deployments yeah
1: yeah, the, the portable DVD player
0: <laughs> I'm excited about this one Yeah. alright thanks man thanks Nick thank you for joining us on this episode of Longest War if you like what you heard please be sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes SoundCloud Google Play or your favorite app